Man, I, I know this sounds kind of carnal, but it, it goes along with the message today that this leash right here reminds me of probably the greatest praise, the greatest message, the greatest thing that I have heard, almost the greatest thing that I've heard, the best news that I've heard in, in, in years, literally years. Tom's laughing because he knows what I'm talking about here. Man, I want you guys to know, if you ever go surf at Fort Pierce Inlet State Park, be as happy with it as I am, that the leash law is now repealed. We do not have to wear leashes when we surf anymore. Amen? All right, so now i got to tell you a story behind this, because um, really I've been a big baby about it. Tom wasn't going to say anything, but I have. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, here's how it all kind of happened. Like, I hate wearing these leashes. They're such a restriction. They're dangerous. They get in the way. You go to stand up, and you're all tangled in them. You, it makes you a crummy surfer, because half of it is your, your stylish dismount. Now with a leash, you can just fall off like a coop and grab your board and pull it back. But... Man, all these things about this leash and the way it all kind of came down for me and the way this leash law got started and the way I became a big baby about it, and I'm going to tie this into the message, I promise it does, is a couple of years ago, about two, two and a half years ago, uh, when paddle surfers, like, you know, we go paddle boarding, and um, I used to, you know, take my paddle board out on the appropriate day and I'd, I'd ride waves, you know, on those, but there were some guys that started riding paddle boards all the time to surf with. Now, a paddleboard's got a lot of foam, so it can catch a wave way out further than even a longboard, which can catch a wave a, a lot further out than even a shortboard, which can catch a wave a lot further out than a boogie board. And so you see the pecking order here. So a bunch of guys started riding paddleboards out there in the surf. And we had a time where we had a swell during the spring. Man, you remember that? That swell lasted probably well over a month, man. It was like... It just seemed like every day we woke up and we had just head-high glass waves or maybe it went down to chest-high glass, but every day it was on the verge of epic. And so we were having such a blast surfing, but all of a sudden it started getting crowded. And all of a sudden the paddle surfers now, there was a group of them and they, they weren't locals and they uh, would come and they would get up by the first peak at the jetty as close and far out as they could, and they would catch a wave way outside, and they would drop in. And then they would cut off everybody who was trying to surf first peak. And then they would ride past them and cut off everybody in my break, which is between first peak and first boardwalk. Then they would keep going, and they would cut off everybody at first boardwalk until they rode it all the way into shore. And now they were kind of dangerous because we are trying to catch waves, and here's this giant paddleboard flying by us and I don't know if you've been out there in the waves and you see a giant paddleboard coming at you you don't know how good they are or how bad they are but man it was kind of dangerous and it was inconsiderate and it was rude so we obviously would say something nice and in the spirit of Christ hey you know dude no have some you know have some class share where's your vibe you know all the kind of thing and that was just us Christians imagine the non-Christians so you know, we're trying to make some sense. And then these guys, they would, they would like, gave us different hand signals. I think they were telling us we were number one with their, I'm not sure. But they, were, they would flick us off. They're going by and like, oh, it's your fault you don't have the right wave vehicle. You know, we're like, what? And I mean, I'm talking, we've got prominent surfers in the community that are like going, who are you? This is our break. What are you doing? And these guys just kept doing it day after day. So some of the more prominent surfers in the area, and I wasn't one of those guys doing this because I was kind of still spiritual at the time. Well, sort of. But, man, they started, uh, 
So some of the guys were like, we're going to fix this. So they went to the ranger and they started complaining. They're like, all right, you know what? There's these guys doing this. This is dangerous. Just like you move the kite surfers down the beach. We need to move these guys down the beach. And the head ranger was like, no, I really can't discriminate that way. They're on a board. And so we can't do that. So they kept coming up with more plans. And one day they came up with a plan that was actually a lie. They went to the head ranger and said, well, these guys aren't wearing leashes. And so they're dangerous. And their idea was, okay, so now we move them down because they're dangerous. Well, that backfired on them and everybody else because the ranger was like, now, oh, I can solve this. Everybody has to wear a leash. It was like, no. Everybody has to wear a leash. Now, I can see on a big day wearing a leash and that being a value, but, man, on little ankle-biting days out there, wearing a leash, you're dragging it around. It's getting caught in seaweed. You're trying to be stylish and cross-step and get up on the nose, and you're trying to back, and you're getting all tangled up, and you're falling off like a kook. It just is like it, there, were, there were classic boards, long boards, that are made for a particular style of surfing that don't even have leash plugs in them. And Fort Pierce Inlet, I don't know if you know it, but it's a destination surf break. It is designated as the best long wave, longboard wave in the state. I probably shouldn't be saying this on Facebook Live. Now I'm just, oh, just for the sake of it. No, but literally it's a destination surf break. And they totally ruined it by making us wear leashes there. So at first, people were like not wearing leash, and they're like, oh yeah, well it's a $200 fine the first time you get caught. Second time, you're getting kicked out of the park, and we're like, all right, well we're leashes. And, 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 but people weren't getting fined, and people weren't getting kicked out of the park. And so we stopped wearing leashes, and the ranger starts fining people and starts kicking them out of the park, and we're like, oh. And so we, as locals, had to wear leashes all the time, but the people come from Jupiter, People coming from down here in, in, uh, in Jensen and Palm Beach, they're coming up, and because they're in and out, in and out, they have less of a chance to get caught. So it ended up being us, just us locals having to wear these coot cords, having to wear a leash the whole time. And we're in little ankle-high waves, you know, knee-high waves, catching, trying to catch waves, and they're just scooting by us, doing all their little dancing and, you know, little pirouettes on the board and, and all of that. And, and we're like, we can't do it. Man. It made me angry. I tried to see it from God's perspective, but you see, I got a passion for surfing and this totally messed it up for me. And, and it just wasn't fair. I would go out there every day, all right, I'm gonna represent the kingdom. Like I, because back in 1993, I had had an eight year break from surfing. And I hadn't surfed, I've been in seminary, all these different things, you know, and, 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 and I saw an ad for a surfboard and I knew the stoke that came with it. And when I saw that ad, I said, God, if you want me to surf again, you're going to have to buy the board. And if you buy the board for me, because we didn't have any extra money, I said, you buy the board, I will represent your kingdom out there. So since 1993 until two and a half years ago, I represented his kingdom out there. That was my job. And I wasn't perfect in it, but that's what I did. And all of a sudden, I found that I couldn't represent the kingdom out there because I'd get so mad. I'd, I'd take off on a wave my leash, and then here's these guys with no leash, and the board's loose. I literally, man, I'd grab them, and I'd throw them in their board off, you know, uh, in the name of Jesus, all right? I just, I'd find myself just getting really mad about the whole thing until finally, and if I wasn't, man, all right, so then I started getting, all right, the head ranger, I was doing um, paddleboard tours out of the state park at the time, so I worked kind of for the park. So the head ranger's like, hey, you need to tell all your surfing buddies that, that they need to wear these leashes. And I'm like, well, that's not really my job. He said, yeah, it is. 
We're going to enforce it again. I'm like, I guess I better start wearing one. You haven't been wearing one? I'm like, well, you haven't been enforcing it. He's like, you have to start helping us enforce it. So as I start paddling out and trying to help them enforce this law, surfing became no fun for me anymore. And honestly, the passion of my life, I quit surfing. That's how come I'm so fat right now, all right? I'm just saying, dude, I literally I quit surfing, man, for about two and a half years. I just let it get to me. I didn't view it the way God wanted me to view it. I've been teaching you guys this out of the book of Acts that every encounter is a divine encounter. And every divine encounter is, is a little teeny part of a God's huge plan. And it's a privilege to be a part of it. But I wasn't seeing it that way. And literally, I made every excuse in the world why not to serve. I'd go out there and I'd, it just, I'd get ticked off in about an hour, half hour, because of this stupid leash right here. And finally, uh, Hurricane Irma a couple years ago, a couple summers ago, man, we had poop water that drained off the whole state and took two and a half months for it to clean up. That was kind of the icing on the cake, if you want to put it that way. Man, I, I, chocolate icing, never mind, but I'm just saying. I quit surfing. I just, after that, I was just like, I'm done. And every time I went out, I just didn't have a good time. Every time I went out, I didn't have a good time. And I lost my vibe. I went out, we were paddle boarding. And I probably complained for a while about not surfing. <laughs> uh, we, we paddle boarded. Man, we scuba dived. We boated. We've been in the water. But dude, nothing's like surfing. How many of y'all know nothing's like surfing? Surfing is surfing and that's all there is. I mean, you do that and it's just like, you get clean. When you go surfing, you get clean like you can't get clean any other way. Man, it's just, it's a, it, it cleanses you inside and out. It's an awesome time to be with God. But my job was to represent the kingdom, and I wasn't. So I thought I was taking the high road and saying, I'm not going to represent the kingdom. out. I can't represent the kingdom, so I'm going to stay out of the water. Well, God had a place for me out there. And so he's been dealing with me about this for a long time. And Tom, raise your hand, Tom. Rock shop Tom and Gary, raise your hand over there. These two guys started talking about what three or four or five months ago and they were like they were like not like maybe that long three months ago whatever but they were like we're gonna start dawn patrol and every morning tom's like tom raise your hand back there tom's like we're gonna start dawn patrol these two guys though were making plans at dawn patrol and i'm thinking all right dawn patrol maybe i don't have to wear a leech but i'm like no i'm a christian and it's a rule and i have to do it and god kept dealing with me on this and finally i succumbed and i remembered as we've been going through the book of acts again what we've been learning is every encounter is a what it's a divine encounter. Every encounter is a divine encounter. And every divine encounter is a little part of God's huge plan. And it's a privilege to be a part of it. And every week when I'm preparing these messages out of the book of Acts, God has been beating me up with that. Not in a bad way, but he's been like, you hypocrite. You got it going this way and this way, but you won't go back out in the water. And finally last week I said, all right, guys, when are we dawn patrolling? And we started dawn patrolling this week. Wasn't that fun, Gary? Man, you don't know a dawn patrol, dude. You get out there and you paddle out at first light. Man, you're paddling out and then you just watch God just blow you away with a sunrise. Even if there's no waves, which there usually are, man, it's special from first light till about 8 o'clock. And then when he lets everybody else in the park, it's not anymore. But it's just like dawn patrol is awesome. And we were out there. and I. But here's the deal. I had to be able to dawn patrol. And I knew it was going to be little waves. I had to succumb to putting this leash on and have a good attitude. And I said, God, it's just going to have to be your grace. God, I've tried, I've tried, and I'm tired of being a baby. I'm tired of preaching like a hypocrite. 
telling everybody that every encounter is a divine encounter, and every divine encounter is a little part of a huge plan you have, and it's a privilege to be a part of it, and you're eating me alive over a stupid piece of rubber. I have tried, I've stayed up at night trying to figure out how to make a different kind of leash. (laughs) I'm trying to go cordless on my leash. I'm trying to figure out a way. And God said, would you just quit being a baby and put the leash on? And I said, all right. And so we got out there the first day, Monday, Tuesday, what day, I don't know. Man, I paddle and I'm dragging this leash on an ankle high wave and I go pop up and I'm thinking, uh, but I'm, I'm just letting God work on me. We got to go out again, have fun, go out again, have fun. And I'm just trying to throw the kick the devil out of my head every single time I start thinking about this leash. And then we come out Friday, it was, wasn't it Friday? We come out at Dawn Patrol, we're all hanging out talking. And um, this pervert guy who everybody knows him as, well, that's what they do. He's just the most wretched, ungodly person there is. He's talking to us about all this stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, I see a thing you got in your hand. You don't need that anymore. I'm like, no, dude, as much as you can break rules, I can't. I need this, and I hate it, and all this. And then another guy in the parking lot is talking about leash. Where you been? I'm like, ah, you know, and I'm trying to contain myself again. But this guy, he says, you don't need this leash anymore. I'm like, what? He's like, no, dude, they took the signs away, and, and, and they can't enforce it, so they're not going to, there's no more leash law. And I'm thinking, no, you're just, that's your own rules. So I went up to the ranger stand. I said, hey, the signs are gone. Is there a leash law? And they're like, no, we've had too many people uh, complaining. And actually, we had lawsuits about not being able to enforce it efficiently. And so there's no more leash law at the jetty. And I was like, yeah! It was like, I called everybody I knew. But everybody I knew that that, that hated this leash law. And, And I was so excited. But the fact is, it wasn't until Monday when I surrendered and said, I'm going back out to Dawn Patrol. Do you realize, man... For years, for the last 15 years, prior to the last two and a half years, we had Bible study out there on first boardwalk. Man, we, I couldn't go out there and paddle out with people coming up to me saying, Pastor, can you pray for this? Pastor, what do we do here? I was a pastor out there. And over a stupid piece of rubber, I let my calling go. And when I finally said, God, all right, as much as I hate this thing and don't want to be a part of it, and you guys are probably like, what's the deal? He's kind of whack. We need to pray for him. You do. <laughs> but if you don't surf, you don't understand, man, especially if you're not old school. And, and, and I finally gave in and said, God, I'm, I'm just going to wear it. I don't care. And I'm going to fight myself every time I try to. And once I submitted, guess what he did? He got rid of the leash law. <laughs> so maybe today he wants you to submit. I don't know. But. It was a classic example, a classic illustration for what we're kind of talking about today and what we've been talking about in the book of Acts. Things I want you to remember is that every encounter is a what? A divine encounter. Every encounter. Every encounter, Roger. Every encounter is a divine encounter. Gary. By the way, how many of y'all saw the movie Surf's Up before, the little penguin guys? Y'all know that? Gary is Zeke. I'm telling you, (laughs) this guy Zeke had surfed in how many years? Yeah, but, but prior to that, he surfed epic Mavericks with a broken fin and didn't realize he had a broken fin. I'm just saying, dude, it's like, yeah, so he's back out in the water now. But every encounter we have is a what kind of encounter? Divine, divine encounter. And every divine encounter is a small part of God's humongous what? His plan. There's no accidents of what you're encountering every day. And do you realize what a privilege it is to be a part of God's plan? How many of y'all realize what a privilege it is? 
And that's what we've got to remember. That's how Paul and Silas were able to get through this situation here and how we can stop being big babies and making excuses and, and, and not doing what we're supposed to be doing in the kingdom. We're, man, do you know how much fun, Tom? Man, I can only, uh, out of those couple days we served, I remember maybe a handful of waves. I remember two rights in particular. And you probably saw both of them. Two rights that I took that I'm still thinking about, and they were only this big. Man, what a, what a joy it is to be part of God's plan, to be fulfilling your calling in his plan. And when we're not doing it, we're miserable. So, man, don't let something stupid like a leash, man, stop you from being part of God's call on your life. And, and let the Holy Spirit speak to you today in this. So we're going to look at a couple things. Um, all right, so let's take a look at this story. Uh, not everyone's going to be happy but some will be forever, all right? That's just kind of what I decided to call this because we're going to start out by seeing a bunch. You would think if somebody gave their life to Christ, how many of y'all would be happy if someone gave their life to Christ? Yeah, but you know, there's people that aren't. <laughs> and, and not everybody's going to be happy, but some people will be forever. So when you make the decision to go out and make disciples, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and all you are is a witness, you're just a mouthpiece. When you make the decision to do that and to live it out, not everyone will be happy, but I guarantee you some will. And they're going to be happy for how long? Forever. And that's why God's got you in their life. That's what those encounters are for. So check this out again. Reiterate what I've told you already. To be a part of that, you must realize every encounter is a what? Divine. Realize every divine encounter is a, of an enormous divine plan that God has that we can't even see the end of. And realize what a privilege it is that you get to participate in God's plan. All right, so let's take a look at this. Every, first of all, we're going to start in this little passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 16. You remember last week they were in Philippi. They got there and they uh, led Lydia to the Lord. Uh, you remember they went here, they went there, they went there. God told them to go here. They sailed across, then they sailed across again. And they're going. They found out there's no synagogue in Philippi because there aren't even enough men Jewish believers to have that. So they said, well, people must be praying by the river. They went there. They saw a bunch of ladies. That wasn't what they were looking for, but they realized every encounter was a divine encounter. So they sat down and started praying and talking to the ladies. And a rich lady named Lydia, who was a merchant, gave her life to Christ. And little did they know she had a big house and she was going to take care of them and to be the central headquarters and really the beginning of the whole church in Philippi that Paul loved dearly. He had no idea sitting down talking to those ladies. That's what it was going to be. But he realized every encounter is a divine encounter and every divine encounter is a small part of this enormous plan God has. And it's a privilege to participate in that. So as they're going now, they finish this prayer meeting. Lydia gets saved. So now they're walking to go pray again. All right. And I want you to realize that everything supernatural is not of God. OK, you talked about deception. Oh, Zane's down there with his uh, with the kids right now. But um, talk about deception right now. Anybody who can do anything supernatural, people are assuming that's of God. That is not of God. Hey, what happened with Moses? Remember, Moses and Aaron went to go see Pharaoh. They had this stick. What did they do? They threw down the stick. And what happened to the stick? Help me out turned into a snake. All right. That's not that big a deal. Not that I could do it. All right. <laughs> I'll kick this, my, this over and it turns into a snake. That's not a big a deal. What's the big deal, Carol Ann? What did God tell him to do next? He told him to pick the snake up. Would that be a miracle for you? Yeah. 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 That's where you draw the line. No way, God. I don't want part of that miracle. <laughs> but literally, they threw the stick, the stick down and it turned into a snake. Then God said, pick it up, which again, that would be the miracle for me. They picked it up. What did the uh, what did the magicians of Pharaoh do? 
Exact same thing. Every single, dude, oh, at the very beginning, almost every single one of the miracles that happened. What, what did the magicians of Pharaoh do? Almost the exact same thing. Hey, we're turning the water into blood. Oh, yeah, watch this. We'll take our only drinking water just to show you, and we'll turn it into blood. I mean, even to hurt themselves, they did, the, they did it. But everything that you see supernatural is not of God. Get that. You got to test it against scripture, scripture in context. A text without a context is a pretext. Man, I want you to know that if you don't remember anything. Everybody say that. A text, a text. without a context is a pretext. Yeah, if you take something out of context, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. You've got to look at things in the whole counsel of the whole scripture. In the whole scripture, all of Bible is about Christ. So not everything supernatural is of God. Check this out. One day, we were walking down to the place of prayer. dum dee dum dee dum dee dum All right, here they're walking, right? We met a slave girl. Who was the first one they met? Lydia. She was a rich lady. This is so cool in the book of Acts that he puts these two things right in next to each other. Because every one of us fits somewhere between that rich lady and the slave girl, right? It, it, it shows all of us can be saved. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl. Ooh, but she had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. Okay, so uh, you have some other translations. What does your, your translation say about her spirit? It was a, a spirit of divination. A spirit of divination. That word divination, actually, in the Greek, it says she had the spirit of python. Okay? A spirit of python. And what happened, I, I think it's the Oracle of Delphi. There was a city they, where they believed that Zeus, okay, uh, Zeus killed this python snake. But his spirit stayed there and the spirit of the snake stayed there and people would go there to have that spirit come upon them. And then they would give oracles and they would they would go out. And so if you had this oracle or the spirit of Python in you, you were a valuable commodity. Now, you can go read more about this if you would like. But let me ask you a question. Who was the spirit of the Python? Is that God? No. Who is it? Satan. Satan straight out of the pit of hell. But yet, people would go there to the special spirit school. They'd go to the special spirit place, the Oracle of Delphi. They would go to this temple, and they would open themselves up to being, if you will, impregnated spiritually. I'm just saying being taken over, being possessed by the spirit. And they could walk out of there now, and through this spirit, which we know is Satan, they could now go and they could testify. And now they could, they could say things. They would even say things like they were fortune tellers, basically. And so even businessmen, wise businessmen, you know, in the culture, not spiritual culture, but in the, the culture, would go to these guys and they would pay people money because th this guy had a slave girl. Hey, tell me what's the future of my business. Tell me what decisions I should make. Tell me what I should do. And they would listen to this. Because it was sounded supernatural, People thought it was supernatural and they should listen to it. But understand, there's two kinds of supernatural. There's godly and there's ungodly. And we know that whatever God says is going to match up with his word in context. So as they're going, they met a slave girl. So first of all, she's a slave because of this gift, quote unquote, that she has. But it's really a possession who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She had this spirit of python in her. How many? That don't even sound good, does it? <laughs> so she's possessed by a snake spirit, possessed by the devil, and she's a slave girl. What a miserable life. Could you think of a more miserable life than that? That's her life. And 
So she earned uh, a lot of money for her master by telling fortunes. Obviously, he pimped her out like a spiritual prostitute, in other words. That's kind of, that was her life. She's a slave to the, the spirit in her, to the master over her. And look what happened. She followed Paul and the rest of us. Now, who is this that's riding on this journey? We have Paul and who? Uh, yeah, Paul and Silas, the Jewish guys. Who else? We have Timothy. Timothy. He's the young guy when the mom, you know, Paul went up to Timothy's mom and said, hey, you know, we're going back to a place where we got killed. They tried to kill us last time. Can we bring your son with us? And she says, oh, yeah, sure, go. And Timothy's going because they knew it was of God. And then after that, um, Luke, he, he says us, he's the one writing us. Luke is now part of this missionary team. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. So she followed the rest of us. She's following all four of them, shouting. She says, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Doesn't that sound legit? I mean, is there anything wrong with that? I mean, what she's saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. They have come to tell you how to be saved. Dude, that's legit. So all of a sudden, what would you be thinking? Supernatural. She's telling us this. This has got to be of God. But do you understand that's how Satan deceives? That's how anybody deceives. If somebody has told you an outright lie, you'd have to just plain be outright gullible. How many of y'all are outright gullible? <laughs> Some of you wanted to raise your hand. You were like, uh, no. <laughs> Give yourself credit, man. You at least need to have a little bit of truth with that lie, right? You know, when they serve you, if they serve you a bowl of lie, dude, you're not eating the whole thing. You might take a bite. Like, oh. But if it's got some truth in it, you know, whipped cream and a cherry on top, you know, and then it's not until you get down in the bottom that you're like, ooh, wait, wait. You know, in this, Satan starts by telling you a lot of the truth. But what he does is he contaminates the truth. Many things, everything, I do believe in God's economy is black and white. It is black and white. You want to know what to do? God gave us the Holy Spirit that lives in us, and he will tell us what to do. And if he doesn't tell you what to do, then don't do anything. You do what God wants you to do. How do you make gray again if you've got black and white? Do, do, do you take black and throw a whole bunch of white into it to make it gray? That's a hard way to get there. Most people take the easy way. What do you do? You put a little teeny bit of black in the white, and you got gray. Satan always starts with some kind of the truth. Otherwise, you wouldn't bite, would you? How many of y'all fish? Anybody fish? How many of y'all artificial, use artificial bait to fish? Yeah. Do you make artificial bait look like a puppy for catching trout? No. That's not what they eat. You make it look like a fish or a shrimp. You make it look like what they want to eat, right? And then all of a sudden they bite into it and they're like, dang, that was made by DOA and that's plastic. That's just shrimp impregnation in there. And I just got fooled. Now I'm going to be on the plate getting fried up <laughs> you know it's got to sort of look like the truth so she followed paul and the rest of us shouting these men are servants of the most high god they have come to tell you how to be saved and of course that is what they were there for but look at what happens next this went on day after day until paul got so exasperated uh what is yours uh, one of the virgins said annoyed anybody have a virgin say, what does yours say ellie Greatly annoyed. Paul, you know, Paul, Paul had a little temper, I think. Remember, he got ticked off at Barnabas. They got into a big fight. Paul gets annoyed. Paul was not a patient man. So whenever he writes about patience, I think the Holy Spirit's teaching him about that. But he went day after day until Paul got so exasperated or greatly annoyed that he turned and said to the demon within her. Notice he didn't talk to her. He talked to the demon that was in her because that was what the problem was. Okay, and in that day and age, in that situation, that exact situation right there, there was a demon within her. And he said, I command you in the name of what? Jesus Christ. Yeah, 
I don't, I don't command you in the name of Paul. I don't command you in the name of this, that, or that. I command you in Jesus. Only Jesus is bigger than all of that. And I command you in the name of Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Well, why would Paul want to get rid of that demon that's teaching? I mean, wasn't she good advertising for him? What do you think, Charlotte? She's not good. You would not want Satan advertising your women's Bible study on Thursday, even if he was saying it was the greatest thing? Nope. No. Because Satan's going to show up in some way, shape, or, or another. Paul didn't want to be, he didn't, need the, he didn't need Satan as his PR man. You know why? Because even though he's telling the truth right now, what's inevitably going to happen? You know what Satan loves to do? He loves to get you away from God's word. He loves to get you. I said I wasn't going to get on chairs this week, didn't I? But sorry, this is Holy Spirit. He, he then lets you get up higher. He wants you to get up higher. And, and what is he waiting for you to get so high that he can do what, Gary? Knock you off. And the higher he can let you go in your own confidence, the farther you fall when he knocks you down. That's why we've got to know the word of God in context. Because a text without a pretext is a... Oh, a text without a context is a pretext. All right, you got it. All right, so went on day and day. So he commanded, and he got he he, he kicked out a, a demon out of her. Okay, uh, that's not really the point of the story. It is something that he did at this point. All right, and and now we believe she got saved. Okay, so what I want you to see from this first part is this: that just because you see something supernatural, it does not mean it is of God. You better test it in the context of the Bible because a text without a context is a pretext. Thank you. All right. Had to pull that mental wedgie there. We got it now. All right. So here we go. Instantly it left her. So the second thing I want you to see, when somebody gives their life to Christ, not everyone's happy when you give your life to Christ. How many of y'all, when you gave your life to Christ, somebody, did, somebody wasn't happy about it? Anybody? Sure. Dude, I can remember all the people I partied with, all the people I hung out with. And it wasn't because I hated them. It wasn't because I'm judging them saying, oh, you wretched. Dude, they just weren't happy that I didn't have the same interest as them anymore. What happened to you? And I'm like, I gave my life to Christ. He gave me new desires. You know, I don't want to go out and do that with you anymore. You know, when it comes down to it. But the fact is, is when you give your life to Christ, who controls your life now? Christ controls your life. If Christ is controlling your life, who isn't controlling your life? Anybody else. Anybody else? How many of y'all know controlling people? Controlling bosses, controlling spouses, controlling people in relationships, controlling parents. Oh my goodness! <laughs> aren't you glad? No, you're. Aren't you glad your parents aren't controlling parents, man? You know, you're gonna just be quiet right now, right? <laughs> I'm messing with you. But yeah, we know control. And when Christ takes control, nobody else has control. And you know, I'm just gonna say this: that if other people still have control and other things still have control, maybe you didn't give your life to Christ. I don't know. But it's something you should check out. Because I know when you give your life to Christ, you give it to him. And I'm not saying we don't mess up again. But what I am saying is if he has control, he has control. Unless you choose at points and times to give someone or something else control. Man, I so feel led to share this illustration right now. Miles Stanford, anybody ever heard of him? Not many people have, that's okay. But he's an old dude. Have you ever heard of Miles Stanford? Oh, really? Dude, he's from the books that you read of those errors and stuff. But the old dude. And uh, so he had a story about um, turn of century type guy, a story of how when you come to Christ, you know, when you come to this world, you're on a ship and your captain is the devil. 
And you're riding on the ship and the captain's your devil. And at some point, Jesus comes on board and wants mutiny. Jesus comes on board and says, I want to be your captain. And if you say yes, what Jesus does is becomes your captain. He takes the old captain and throws him down below. What's that called, Milton? Way down below? In the prison? and Yeah, there. And, and so he, he chains him up. He puts him in a prison. Your old captain. And that's where Satan is. Your new captain is Jesus above board. And so bottom line is, does the old captain from the time that you gave your life to Christ and let him be your captain to the time he takes you home while you're on this earth, on this voyage, does your old captain have any authority over you? Aphrodite, does the old captain have any authority? Does Satan have any authority over you? No. But does that mean he doesn't act like it? How many of y'all, you know, you start going down the stairs for some reason, you decide to get away. You stay above board. You're with your new captain. And that's who you're hearing. That's who you're listening to. Life is good. But you start going down below deck for some reason. You start going back where you were. You start going back down where he's around. And guess what? What is he doing when he's chained up and bound up in that jail cell? He's barking out orders to you. And his name is Deceiver. He's the master deceiver. And so he's barking out orders, trying to get you to do stuff. But he has no authority to get you to do it. And so the best way to avoid it is to stay above deck with Jesus, your new captain. But if you do start hearing orders being barked out, you don't have to obey. And one day when we die and we go to heaven, that old captain's gone for good. Amen. Anybody looking forward to that? You. But right now, stay above deck. The only way he's got any control is if you give it to him. Oh, well, that's a good idea. I think I'll do that. <laughs> Check it with the word of God and stay tight with that. So not everybody's happy when you give your life to Christ. Check this part of it out. Her master's hopes of what? We're now what? Dude, we could just end right there. That's it. The one who owned her, her master's hopes of wealth are now shattered. So everything else that happens is happening because of this. Her master's hopes of wealth are now shattered. So they grab Paul and they grab Silas and they grab Luke and they grab... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Who'd they grab? Just Paul and Silas. What happened to Luke and uh, what's the other dude's name? Timothy. Oh, they were younger. They could run faster, right? No. <laughs> you heard the story. It's not a matter of being... Being able to paddle, you know, faster than a shark, he's got to be paddle, paddle faster than me, right? <laughs> you know, so that I'm the last one. But in here, what happened to Paul and Silas? Well, guess what? Luke, or I mean, what happened to, what happened to Luke? Luke was, a, was, was not a Jew, and Timothy was only part Jew. So Paul and Silas were Jews. Here's some anti-Semitism we're going to get into right here. Her master's hopes of wealth are now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas. Those were the Jewish dudes. And they dragged him before the authorities of the marketplace. Now, I told you last week, Philippi was, was a place where it was under Roman authority, but they had their own thing going there. And, um, and actually, some people even say at this point in time that it, the, one, the emperor at the time had now made it illegal to actually be a Jew. Okay? And so, but they didn't necessarily enforce this all the time. So they dragged him into the marketplace, which is where um, the court system was going to take, take place. The whole city is now in an uproar because of what? Because of the Jews. Are, are they in an uproar because he cast the demon out of somebody? Nope. Are they in an uproar? No, they're in an uproar because of these Jews. This is anti-Semitism. And God even told in the book of Deuteronomy, told the Israelites, when you blow me off, that this is what's going to happen to you until I come and rescue again, which I believe is going to be in the end of the tribulation period. So in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. Okay? And so, so again... Um, 
Why were these guys not happy when that girl got saved? What was the real reason? How come? Money. Yeah, she, she basically killed the dude's income. And she knows, so when people lose control over you because now Christ has control, don't expect them to be happy. Don't expect them to be happy. But the fact is, is be happy because Christ now has control. And it's better than anyone else ever having control over you. So the first thing we saw in this is that not everything supernatural is of God. The next thing is that not everyone's going to be happy when you give your life to Christ. Third thing we're going to see is not everyone's happy when you share Christ. So the girl gave her life to Christ. They're not happy with it because this messed up their income. But not everyone's happy when you share Christ. It, here's what they said about the Jews. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. It was kind of like the leash law. Okay. I'm giving you a ticket because you're not wearing a leash. Yeah, what about everybody else? Well, you pick and choose when you wanted to enforce it. And so all of a sudden, they're picking and choosing how to enforce this particular situation. And it was technically illegal for them to be preaching the gospel. But whose rules prevail? God's or man's? Yeah. And every encounter is a divine encounter. And every divine encounter is a little piece of God's humongous plan. And it's a privilege to be a part of that. These are the guys spreading the gospel to Europe for the very first time. So here's what they're complaining about. Now, are they really complaining that they're teaching the Romans to practice something illegal? Is that really their problem? No. Their real problem is that you've taken my power away. Start looking at politics that way. You start looking at politics. I'm talking national, local. I'm talking about in a business. I'm talking about in a family, anywhere. When you start messing with people's power, there are now problems. And the gospel is going to do that because in order for someone to get saved, they give their life to who? To Christ. They're teaching us customs. They'll come up with all kinds of reasons. They're teaching us customs. They're illegal for us Romans to practice. And that was true. So look at this. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped. Okay, so how many of y'all would have a problem right now? You're preaching the gospel. Carol Ann and Rob, you're preaching the gospel in your pool. All of a sudden, the condo commandos take you and they strip you. You, you good with that? <laughs> How many of y'all got a problem with that right now? How many of y'all would say, that's it, I'm done preaching the gospel, they stripped me naked in front of everybody? It didn't stop there, okay? De Debbie, you got a problem there? You're out pre you know, you're preaching the gospel out, out on the sandbar, and all of a sudden, or, or in Atlanta or wherever, <laughs> you're getting a hot dog at the hot dog stand, and all of a sudden preaching the gospel, they've got you stripped, there it is. But it wasn't just that. Most of us would have quit. That's the only reason I'm bringing that up. Most of us would have quit before they even stripped us. I'm going to strip you. No, I quit. I'm not a Christian. Whatever. I'll back off. But these guys kept going because they knew every encounter was a divine encounter. And every divine encounter was a little piece of a humongous plan that God has. And it was a privilege to be a part of that. So a mob quickly formed. Notice how mobs quickly form in the book of Acts. Satan can stir up a mob in a heartbeat, all right? That's why democracy doesn't work. And I'm not getting into politics. We actually have a republic here. Don't forget that. But democracies don't work. So look at this. Paul and Silas, the city officials, ordered them stripped. And look at this. Beaten with wood rods. Wood rods. They had a, a thing of rods. And, and actually the symbol. And what's the word everybody's using now? Fascist, that they don't know what it means. Actually, this is the origin of it. It was a rod, and it, uh, these rods, and it had an axe sticking out of it. And it was tied with a red rope, and it was called a fascist. And that's where we get the word fascist, fascism from, from that. And actually, Mussolini and those guys brought that symbol back. But that's in the Greek what that's called, actually. 
And what they did is, you didn't obey, we're going to whoop you with a wooden rod right here. And if need be, we'll take the axe and we'll cut your head off. So bottom line, they beat them with wood rods. Some even say they used the cat of nine tails like they used on Christ. But here you are preaching the gospel. They strip you naked in front of everyone, Adam, and they beat you. How, how are you feeling about this? You know? Yeah, not good? Well, I don't know. Yeah, how about you? How you feeling, Heidi? They, you're stripping out your feet. You're bleeding. Do you understand in your back you have nothing there? When they hit you with the cat of nine tails, bam! And there were rocks and stone, and it would stick. And the guy who did it would literally rip it down your back, and there would be shreds. Nine shreds every time you got hit. What's holding your guts in? The answer is nothing. Think about Jesus being hit. How many times was he hit? 39 times because the Jews said, we can't do it more than 40. That's just cruelty. <laughs> Literally, that was a rule. But the Romans had no rule. The Greeks had, they, the Greeks had, they had no rules. The Romans had no rules. You get hit as many times. We don't know how bad they got hit. We know their back was in shreds for preaching the gospel. So not everybody's going to be happy when you share the gospel. Hopefully, you don't get stripped naked and you get beat. But it could be happening one day here. And the gospel's just as powerful as it was then. They're beaten to shreds. Look at this. They were severely beaten. Well, how, be how beaten were they? Severely. severely. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Your guts literally could fall out. And they were thrown into prison. Isn't this going a little too far? Well, see, they didn't realize they were Romans. They thought they were just wanderers and there were no rules for those guys. And how dare you come and you share the gospel, another religion with other gods? How dare you do that here? We're going to teach you a lesson so nobody else comes and does this. That was the way the idea was. And, but these guys knew that every encounter was a divine encounter. Every divine encounter was a small part of a huge, enormous plan God had. And they knew, most importantly, it was a what? A privilege. Everybody said it's a privilege to be a part of God's plan. Even if it means getting beaten like this. And they were thrown into prison. Not only were they thrown into prison, but look at this. The jailer, remember the jailer, we're going to see him in a couple of minutes here. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So what did the jailer do? Look at this. The jailer put them in the inner dungeon where no light comes, mold and hepatitis A, and I'm just saying everything's in it. The jailer put them in the inner dungeon and did what? He clamped their feet to the stocks. Now, you know what that was? Those were like, a, like maybe like a, a four by ten cut in half with holes. And what they would do, it was mounted to the floor, to the wall. They'd mount it, and they had many holes. So what they would do is they would put you sitting down, sometimes with not even be able to put your back against the wall. You'd have to be sitting up on the floor upright. Why would you be sitting upright on the floor after you'd just gotten beaten? Yeah, because it hurt too bad to lay down. And imagine the infection and the slime and the, the body fluids and everything that you would catch diseases from if you did lay down. And they would put your feet in it. But they didn't put them in this way. The way they put it in, you go research this, they would put it in in the most uncomfortable way. They would try to split your legs as far as you could. So Paul and Silas, the two Jewish-looking dudes, are in the basement of the prison with their feet spread apart in an incredibly uncomfortable position, with their backs beaten to shreds, and they're standing up at that point. Would it be safe to say not everyone's going to be happy when you share the gospel? Yeah, that's where they're at. Look at this, man. In spite of the fact not everybody likes it when, you get, when someone gets saved, in spite of the fact that not everybody's going to like it when you share the gospel, we, as believers, must see life from God's perspective. 
How in the world is Paul and Silas going to make it through this? What if they just listen to their feelings? <laughs> what, what, what would they be doing? Hey, Rob, if they were listening to their feelings, what would they be saying to themselves right now? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm done. You know, we do have three enemies, right? As a believer, we have three enemies. We have the flesh, which your feelings are part of, okay? You, you have the flesh. How many of you all know your flesh lies to you? Anybody's flesh lies to you? I need this. I want this. I have to have this. But even though God said, no, it's mine. Anybody have your flesh lie to you? Raise your hand, please, so I know you're lying. Yes, thank you. All right. Because if I stomped your... No. <laughs> the flesh lies to us. We have a world system that is run by Satan that in the tribulation period, Jesus is going to take the deed back. Not that Satan stole it. It's just when we started messing it up with sin, he gave it to him. He said, I'm going to take it back when I'm ready to fix it all. But you guys just keep messing it up. And, and we know the earth's getting messed up. And so we have a world system that's run by Satan that lies to us. God says, do it this way. The world says, no, buddy, you better quit. You better quit. Look what they're going to do. Every time you do this, you better quit. But God said, what? Stay, keep doing it. So we have a flesh, we have a world system, and we have Satan. Those are our three enemies lying to us. How many lies do you think Paul and Silas were hearing from? Think they were hearing from their body? You think they're hearing from the world system? The other prisoners? Dude, just suck it up. Just suck it up and don't do anything. Don't mention Jesus anymore, and you'll get out of here and go. But God was saying, stay. <laughs> so they had to see life from God's perspective, did they not? If you don't see it from God's perspective, then you're seeing it from one of the three enemies' perspective. And those enemies are there to steal, kill, and destroy you, to take you down. We've got to see it from God's perspective and in order to not only make it ourselves, but more importantly, to help others see life from God's perspective. Amen? So look at this, and I'm just going to read through this next part right here, man, and, and, and give you a little explanation on it. So around midnight, I don't know when this all started, but I just want you to picture yourself. Here you are. You're, you're beaten to shreds. Your body is spread out. You're, man, you're just you're ripped open, and, and man, you ain't got the best core, all right? So here you are, and, and you're up. If you lay down, you're getting infected. You lay down, it hurts. You're trying to hold yourself up. You've got these, uh, your other partner, they're doing the same. And you've got the other prisoner saying, dude, what'd you guys do, man? And don't do it. You know, giving you all kinds of great advice. So around midnight, what would you be doing? Seth, what would you be doing? Without answer, without reading that, what would you, what would you and Charlotte be doing? Hopefully the same thing they were doing. Right. Yeah, that's what they were doing. How many of y'all... Highly doubt that you'd be praying and singing praises. How many of y'all? How many of y'all are so good at feeding each other that you've just kind of now got the biggest pity party going on on the world? You know, or or you're intelligent and you've got a plan on how you're gonna. Well, we're Roman citizens and they don't know it. Boy, they're gonna be sorry for what they did to us. And the same way, you know what? Even Friday, before right before I found out that leash law was repealed, Carl came up. And I had to give Carl a piece of my mind that I couldn't afford to give him. Anybody ever do that? You give a piece of your mind you can't afford to lose. And I'm like, yeah, Carl. Well, it, this totally messed my surfing up. He's like, well, it didn't mess mine up. I said, no, I know it didn't mess yours up. Because Carl stands there, all right? But, and I probably didn't exactly say it, but he got the point. I'm like, but it messed up my surfing. And, oh, I didn't handle it right, did I? I handled it in the flesh. I didn't see it from God's perspective. I have not shown people God's kingdom through this leash law. <laughs> they were showing God's kingdom after getting the snot beat out of them. 
Around midnight, Paul and Silas, they were what? They were praying. Hey, Paul, in Philippians. Where's he at right now? Philippi. He's in jail there, but later he writes a letter to the Philippians. And in there in chapter 4, he says, Worry or have anxiety about nothing but in everything. Pray. And he says, With supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You think he knows what he's talking about? Man, you start reading, my God will supply all your needs. Man, you know where he learned all this stuff? Through hardship. He didn't learn it in Bible college. He learned it, OJT, on-the-job training with God. The same way we're supposed to. We do learn it from each other, but we learn it through the situations God puts us in. And I failed with this leash, so I'm going to try to do much better without one next week, all right? But, so around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. And let me ask you a question. In that verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, 6, 7, right before he says, man, your names are written in heaven. He said, therefore, what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. And you know that's not a command. Hey, did, 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 he, did he tell you um, in the Bible, did he say, don't steal? And again, I say, don't steal. No, but this command he gives us twice. I rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Man, because we're supposed to do what? And we rejoice because our names are written where? This is not my what, Karen? This is not my home. Amen. And as soon as you try to make this your home, you're going to lose your joy. And that's what Paul keeps trying to show us in the book of Philippians, where he learned a lot of it right here in this prison at midnight with Silas. Read, my home's not here. If I want to die of an infection of God, it's your time to take me home. Man, take me home because this is not my home. Rejoice in the Lord always because this is not your home. But he says, if you're going to have to stay here, he said, man, you need to pray. Pray about, he said, worry about what? Nothing. nothing. So there's nothing that you're allowed to worry about in God's economy. You can do it if you want. How's that work out for you? He said, worry about nothing except this horrible situation that comes into your life. Is that what he says? Worry about what? Nothing. But pray about everything. There it is. And the difference between prayer and worry is what? Who you're talking to. Who you're talking to, exactly. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Anything bringing you anxiety, pray about it. Turn it into a conversation with God. And he says with supplication in Philippians, he says, tell me what you'd like to see happen in this matter. Talk to me. Let's talk it out. Who better to talk you out of a stupid idea than God? And so you're talking to him, and he says, with thanksgiving, let your request be known. Say, God, why should I be grateful for this very thing bringing me anxiety? And let him tell you. And then he says, the peace which passes all understanding. That's you worrying because you're not worrying. <laughs> you ever been there? Yeah. The peace that passes all understanding will guard, will preserve your heart and your mind, which is battlefield between God and the devil through Christ Jesus. might not change your circumstances at all because it didn't here, but God had a big plan. After midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. And what else were they doing? Now, how many of y'all know, like, if I started singing and you started singing with me, the jailers would say, oh, dude, get out of here, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's how it happened. They were worshiping God. But look what was happening. How in the world, Gary, do you worship God when you're beat to shreds, your body's stretched out, you're uncomfortable, you, can, you pray, and God starts showing you life from his perspective, that's what we've got to see is life from God's perspective. 
And, but look what he's trying to do. He's showing them their life from his perspective so that they can show others life from God's perspective. Look at this. And the other what? We're doing what? Yeah, it doesn't mean they were like, oh, shut up. Your voices are horrible. It wasn't that. They were listening intently. That's literally how the Greek was. They're like, what is wrong with these guys? What, there's something different about these guys. Maybe they heard that they had expelled a demon out of some girl. And then they got, maybe they heard all these things. But what they're hearing and experiencing right now is like, this is not right. This is not normally what happens. How in the world are you doing this? Hey, I don't know if y'all noticed when we were, we were singing or we were praying. We were singing. Did you notice that little girl that, yes. how many of y'all noticed that little girl? You know what she did? Oh, bro, she looked in. And she was like, what the heck are these people doing? <laughs> she looked in and she wanted to see what we were doing because it wasn't something she was doing. Even though what she was doing was awesome, going to the pool. We'll probably do that later, right, Caroline? But she, she was looking in and I just thought how indicative of our lives. But you know when they're really looking in? When we're being joyful in times that most people aren't joyful. You can't muster that up in the flesh, can you, Roger? It's got to be a Holy Spirit thing. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness. Those are things we don't have muster up, but the Holy Spirit gives us as fruit to give out to others. That's what he's doing right here. They're not eating the fruit. The fruit's coming on them, and they're giving it out to others here. The other prisoners are listening. That's our life. The world's looking in. Look at this. Suddenly. So here they are. They're not expecting anything. God did not. How many of y'all have ever had God give you like the whole five-year game plan? You know, doesn't he say, give us this day our daily bread? So here they are at midnight. They're praying and they're worshiping. And whatever God chooses, it's cool with me. Right? That's the way they've got to be. But suddenly, this might not, they had no clue was even going to happen. A massive, what? Earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundation, meaning there was no part of the prison that was not shaken. All the doors immediately flew open. That's how we know it wasn't just a normal earthquake. This was a supernatural earthquake. Now, does that mean we pray for supernatural earthquakes? No, not specifically. We let God choose to do whatever God wants to do in this. But God does want to do something so supernatural that only he gets blamed. But too often... We don't understand and we don't treat our situations as such that every encounter is a divine encounter. And every divine encounter is a little piece of a huge plan that God has. I think so often he's like, oh, you almost got it. You almost got it. I'm getting ready to do something. And we're like, all right, I got to do it this way. And we just, we quit on him before he can do something spectacular. All the doors immediately flew open. The chains off every prisoner fell off. Dude, that's God. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors open. Now look at what the jailer is. He assumed, what happens when you assume? Never mind. Uh, when he assumed, the prisoners had escaped. He thought they were gone. So he drew a sword to kill himself. Because whatever, whatever those prisoners were guilty of, if they escaped, that's what your penalty was as a jailer. So evidently there was some for capital punishment there. And he was ready to commit suicide. Remember that. Because this is not the way it ends in a few more verses, guys. The jailer woke up, see the prison doors wide open. He assumed, see what assumption does to you? This dude wants to commit suicide because he doesn't know the truth. He's believing a lie. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. He drew a sword to kill himself. But Paul, hey, Adam, 
We were talking a minute ago. You just got the snot beat out of you. Your guts are hanging out. You're down there. Your legs are stretched out. And it was the jailer who did it. Would you be very happy with the jailer right now? Would you be so full of love for the jailer right now? No. You're, if we're being carnal, we're probably wishing bad things on that jailer because he treated us unjustly. Anybody here ever wish bad things on somebody for treating you unjustly? Come on, you little pious saint. Thank you, Mike. All the rest of these guys got to work on their lying right now. But literally, isn't that our carnal human nature? That's what we do naturally. But when you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with what? Love. Even to the one who just ripped your backs to shreds and spread you out like a wishbone, man. I'm just saying. And the dude's ready to commit suicide. I bet you there'd be some of saying, ha, that's what you get. <laughs> We're messing with God's anointed. You know, we got spiritual ways of playing it off, don't we? But look what happens when you're full of love. Paul shouts, stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here! So that means Paul, not only once it, they were all freed, not only decided to stay for himself with his uh, guy Silas, but he also must have convinced the other prisoners to stay. Man, because he knew every encounter was a divine encounter, and every divine encounter is a small part of God's humongous plan, and he knew it was a privilege to be a part of it, and he'd gone this far, he ain't going to miss the rest. He wasn't going to blow it now. Stop. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights. You know, bring the Q-beams in and whoop, whoop, ran to the dungeon. And look what he did now. What did he do? The jailer. Yeah, just read that. He fell down. What? Trembling before Paul and Silas, the dude who had just whipped them and beat their backs and chained them and was the meanest person in the world. Now he has seen God's glory, God's power, and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then, after he got everything straightened out, it says he brought them out and he asked. And look what he asked. Read that to me, guys. Did you hear anybody mention anything about salvation in all of this? Nobody sensed the demon girl, right? <laughs> You know, it wasn't even in their culture. It wasn't in their religion to be saved. It was about making the most out of today because you're going to die and be annihilated later. It's the Holy Spirit. And they knew the message that Paul and them must have been singing about it. Their minds were in heaven. That's what took away the pain that's on this earth. That's how they could stay in those stocks and they had blood dripping out of their back and crustiness and pus and, and, and everything trying to just work back there. But they weren't thinking about the horizontal. They were thinking about the vertical. And, and, and this guy heard this and the Holy Spirit testified. And the one question, I don't know about you, but if I was carnal, but how in the world did you do that? Man, how did you, you know, why didn't you leave? Whatever. But all he cared about at the point, what must I do to be what? Saved. Saved be saved from myself, to be saved from hell, to have a home in heaven. What an awesome question, the most important question. And they replied, well, first, you got to go get a seminary degree. First, you got you to sign on to our, our doctrinal statement. Uh, you got to go through our membership class. You got to, and I'm not saying he's wrong with all these things, but then you got to do this. You got to do this. All right, we got to test your tithing for a while. We're going to be looking at your records, all right? You know, we got to... Uh, all he did, what did he say? We make it pretty complicated. I'm not saying those things are necessarily bad in themselves, but they're not necessary for salvation. Salvation is at some point in your life, you surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him. Hear what he say? Believe in who? The Lord Jesus Christ. 
and you will be saved. And then he went and said, along with everyone in your household. Now, that didn't mean once he got saved, everybody in his house was saved. Because God has no grandchildren. you got to be a child. And we'll see that in a minute. But what did he say? Believe. Not just believe. Here in your head, that word believe was a Greek word, pistuo. That means to lean on a crutch. They had to have a word for somebody leaning on a crutch. Putting all their weight on a crutch. And that's the word believe. So at some point, put all your faith and trust in what you know about Christ. Start doing what he has asked you to do that you know. And you're going to learn more too, but you've got to be willing to do it. So it means to put all that faith and trust, everything, that if it let you down, you would fall down. And so believe in the Lord Jesus that what he did on the cross was full payment for all the sins of the world. And you can have that applied to your life by surrendering yourself to him. Along with everyone in your household, and this must have been a prophecy from the Holy Spirit that Paul's going to witness to them and they're going to accept the Holy Spirit for, or accept Jesus for themselves. Because look at this. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. So all of them came to a saving knowledge of Christ on their own. They all said, this is it. I'm putting my faith and trust in what Christ did on the cross. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds. He and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Hey, let me ask you a question. Just six, seven, eight hours before, what was the jailer doing to them? Beating them. And put them in the deepest part of the prison for this. And they put them in stocks where they spread his legs apart. He did every evil thing he could do to them. But now what's he doing? He's caring for them. He's washing their wounds. Uh, where did he get that from? God's grace. When you give your life to Christ, does he change you? This guy, this guy went from being the cruelest person and now being the kindest one, washing the wounds that he had given the, the man. He and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. At that night, I don't know where they did it, the moat, whatever, but immediately they were baptized because they wanted to symbolize the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. They had been changed. And they didn't care who saw it. They didn't care what it cost. They just gave their life to Christ, and they wanted to outwardly display it through baptism, which, by the way, if you'd like to next week, we'll, we'll be doing that next week. And his whole household, they were immediately baptized. They didn't wait till the morning. They just did it, man, because they were ready. Look at verse 34, we're almost done. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He and his entire household. What's the next word? Hey, so let me ask you a question. When the dude's feelings were lying to him, what was he getting ready to do? What was he getting ready to do? Help me out. Kill himself. The dude went from going from suicide to rejoicing because now his home is in heaven. Because now he's with the real deal, the real God. Not just some religion, not just some wishful thinking. He went from suicide to rejoicing. His entire household rejoicing because they all believed in God. They all now could put their faith and trust in something that was not going to let them down. As long as they saw it from his perspective. So not everybody's going to be happy when you see life from God's perspective. Because people want to own you. And now God owns you. And you live for an audience of one, which is him. Not everyone's going to be happy when you help others see life from God's perspective because now you're helping them change ownership and they see you as a threat. But some will be happy and they're going to be happy forever because they've given their life to Christ. Last thing I want to say again is to repeat. 
But to be a part of this, here's what we've got to see. This is what I want you to remember. This is what I want you to remember as you're, as you're, as you're going out, as you're in traffic jams, as you're out at Walmart, Target, wherever you're at, at the restaurant, thinking, oh gosh, he went, the, the Methodist beat us to lunch again. You know? <laughs> All right. I know y'all are thinking that, right? You got to realize every encounter is a divine encounter. Every divine encounter is a small part of an enormous divine plan that God's got. And realize what a privilege it is that you get to participate. That's what it's about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for making this message real to me over even the past two and a half years. Father, so many ways in my life I've surrendered to you and realize every encounter is a divine encounter. But knowing you brought me here 17 years ago to be the Jetty Pastor. And you proved it. There's been fruit. We've... Man, there's been so many cool things that have gone on. But something as stupid as a leash law. Father, you let that get in the way. I allowed that to get in the way. And I am so grateful that you have revealed that to me. Father, I pray that none of us would ever forget that every encounter is a divine encounter. And every divine encounter is just a little part of your enormous plan. And it is a tremendous privilege to not only worship, and serve the God of this universe, the God who created everything, the God that keeps the tiniest atoms from splitting to the most giant planets from crashing into us, the God who, who gives us breath, the God who's created everything. It is such a privilege to have a loving, thriving relationship with you. Father, I pray if there's someone here that's never given their life to Christ, they don't know that when they go to heaven they're dying, they don't know they belong to you. They know they're a sinner and they now understand that the penalty for sin is being separated from you forever in hell. But that's not what you want for them. Father, I pray you'd give them the knowledge, the desire, the ability to see your love, that you loved them so much that you'd rather die than live without them. And you shed all of your blood on that cross as a perfect lamb of God to take away their sins. And if they would surrender themselves to you as much as they know about you and as much as they know about them, but surrender it all, they would be eternally covered by your blood and their homes in heaven. And we have a huge God to give us purpose while we're here. That not a single moment is wasted. That everything that comes in our life is by your design to worship and serve you a blast. So Father, I pray that you speak to all of us where we need to be spoken to. And Father, we'd walk out of here knowing that we have heard from you today. Thank you for giving me these words for me first. And I pray each of us can walk out of here with application. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.